Good evening, everybody. Um, <laughs> I saw my good, my good dear sister, Mama Hakima, and I told her, you know, put the bar real low tonight. Um, I'm going to be speaking on something that I really shouldn't. Uh, I'm not qualified, actually, to speak on it. It's something out of my league, but I'm going to attempt the heights um, for the sake of you guys um, because... What I'm going to share, I think, is something that um, has immense value for humanity. And in the modern time, this value has not only um, been lost, but oftentimes it's been kind of disdained. Um, how many of you here use a computer? Yeah? What is a computer? Okay. So the concept of defragging the computer. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Who can explain to me what defragging the computer is? Who wants to? We're gonna, this is the participation portion of it. <laughs> really? Please. It's like scrubbing the computer clean, right? Getting rid of all the... Yeah, kind of. See? Kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Kind of. Uh, so defragging a computer is really about trying to erase the spaces that are between the files, right? In some regards, kind of compressing it and getting it back in working order. Okay. So human beings are the same way. You need to be defragged. Right? Um, in the Christian tradition, it goes something like this. There was God, and then God created mankind, womankind, human beings, right? And everything was perfect, right? Now, the perfection, as we've understood it, means that there was no flaws and everybody's happy and like eating cookies and rainbows. That's not really what the early tradition means by perfection. What the early tradition means by perfection is that everything was as it should be, but humankind was still going to grow in man and woman's awareness of what it means to be human, right? What it means to encounter God. When the fall happens, everything is flipped upside down. And that flipping upside down, the way that the operating system was made to operate doesn't operate anymore like that. And so we have now been living in this kind of result of that fall. Now, people have wrongly called this like original sin and said, well, because of Adam, this and that, I'm guilty. But in the, in the Christian East, we do not see it that way. It's not about I'm guilty because of what Adam did. But what it is, is I've inherited something. I need to defrag, right? I need to defrag. This looks something like this. How many of you deal with anxiety? <laughs> and so just as many of you deal with depression because anxiety and depression are the same coin but a different side, you see? Okay. Do you know that the World Health Organization is calling this generation like the generation of anxiety, yes? Okay, why is that, right? We have, in the West, more money, more information, 
more resources than ever before, and yet we're the most anxious and depressed people ever. How does that work? Magnets. So I'll tell you how that works. We don't defrag anymore. And we have taken on things that we think are defragging us, like I just need to relax and chill, Netflix. No, actually Netflix is making the situation worse. Long, hard day. Man, I just need to relax. Do, 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 do. And I start downloading everybody else's issues. I'm not relaxing. I'm actually getting worse. Right? You think you're relaxing because you're getting these little hits of dopamine, but your spirit is actually continually at unrest. So, when you begin to integrate, then there's peace. When you begin to integrate, the world isn't rainbows and unicorns, but you are able to now deal with what's thrown at you. You see? That defragging, that used to be the purpose of prayer. That used to be the purpose of religion. Now, time has gone on, and like anything else, it gets weaponized and all kinds of different things. It's used for money and filthy stuff. But at its root, spirituality was about returning the creation back to the creator and that harmony. Okay. That's right. Snap, snap, snap. So, coffee. So I've given you all this. I'm going to share with you some secrets. There's lots of secrets I could share with you. But the safest secret I'm going to share with you is about this aspect of defragging, okay? The desert fathers and mothers, the Abbas and the Amas, <laughs> in the fourth century, it's like the 300s, right? Let me give you a little bit of history. In the early 300s, the Edict of Milan comes. And with the Edict of Milan, Christianity is now made legal, okay? Now, that sounds kind of nice, but not really because you have to understand something. That tradition of spirituality um, was not just birthed by the death of you know, the leader, uh, the teacher, the Messiah, Jesus, but also his disciples afterwards, right? The church grew by the blood of the martyrs. And I know this sounds really gruesome, but it's, it's getting somewhere, right? The early Christians understood something, basically no pain, no gain essentially, right? Anything that is not hard fought for really isn't worth having, right? That's how they kind of understood things. It's more complicated, but I'm getting somewhere. So when Theodosius and Constantine, these other people say, okay, we're going to make Christianity legal, hardcore Christians knew, okay, everything's going south now. Because what's going to happen is the struggle that we were engaging in to be transformed, to love our neighbor, to love ourself, is going to actually become more difficult because everything is going to be easier. Right? So these fathers and mothers, Abbas and Amas, they decided what we will do is we will protest and we will leave the cities and we will go to the deserts, okay? And what does that mean? There's a spiritual meaning to that, but on a real historical sense, 
They left the, the city areas where people were at and resources and they went to the deserts, the places where there's no water, no food, no people, right? And they were going to live what they called the bloodless martyrdom, okay? You must be like, why does all this matter? Let me, let me tell you why it matters. Because in this radical ripping away from luxury, they were able to defrag again. They saw that when luxury came, right, when ease of life came, the spirit became weak, okay? <laughs> Jesus talked about this, right? Jesus talked about this. In fact, in the scriptures, when you read after Jesus is baptized, what's the next thing that happens? He's driven into the wilderness, okay? And I can go on and on and on about it. But let me start with this point, okay? Um, St. Paul, he says, do you not know in a race all the runners run, but only, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to take the prize. Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that is perishable, but we do it for a crown that is imperishable. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I am beating the air. No, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified. The tool that the amas and the abbas, the mothers and the fathers used was something called asceticism. Asceticism. Now, asceticism, in a nutshell, is basically learning to bring your body in control, right? You discipline your body so that your inner life will grow, right? Remember we talked about Adam, right? And the inverting where God made mankind so that the spirit would rule and the body would serve the spirit. But in the fall, it's reversed. And every single one of you here experience it. Because if you get too hangry, right? Very few of us here know how to kind of curb our tongue when we're out of control. I don't have enough nicotine. I didn't get my caffeine. I didn't get my sugar. You see? The body's running the show, right? God forbid you live your phone, right? It's not just about not getting in contact with people. For many of us now, we have become addicted. Literally, the dopamine hits that we're getting, right? Your body's running the show. But see, the thing is, is as spiritual people, the body should not be running the show, right? That's like the cart before the horse, you see. Asceticism helps us to be reorientated back to the original state in paradise, if you will, to where the spirit and the higher things are important, okay? And you see this every day. You see this when people maybe... Um, have you come home one day after a long day at work and maybe your kids or your significant other or somebody's wanting some simple attention, you're like, man, just get away from me. Right? That's a non-spiritual reaction because your body is craving certain things. Every year around this time, for us, it's about uh, one more week, we will begin what's called Great Lent. 
And the church, in her wisdom, developed cycles of time. Because uh, we use this word liturgical, right? Like liturgical is like an ordered work. But all of life is liturgical, right? You have winter, then you have spring, then you have summer, then you have fall. We have these cycles, and that's part of what it means to be human, okay? You have cycles of death, right? Winter. And you have a cycle of life. Lent is this time, traditionally, where Christians understood it's time to allow some things to die so that new, fresh things can rise again, okay? Now, for many Christians and for the desert fathers and mothers, this was their life, right? Fasting, right? Denying the body of foods. But here's the thing. They also understood that it wasn't just not eating, right? Let me, let me share with you something here. I picked out a couple... Uh, Writings from, from the Desert Fathers, and Nick kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but that's okay. He's, he's very good at that. He's still... He's good at stealing thunder. That's good. Let's see here. Let me find the good one. And here, this is a collection of the sayings of the Desert Fathers. And... These are mothers and fathers from the third century and their writings and their lives. And one of the things that's really interesting about this is that they're really peculiar. In the Buddhist tradition, they're called cones, where there's these like riddles that are used to use um, to kind of shake the dust loose and get you pondering and thinking, right? So in the same way, the Desert Fathers spoke in this way, and Desert Fathers and mothers. But the thing is, what's tied to that is this understanding of um, the body and the soul, okay? C.S. Lewis, he says, you know, you don't have a body and a soul. That's what you are. Do you, do you, do you see that? We talk about like, oh, when I die, I don't care what you do with me, just bury it because it's just a tent. And, and what we're kind of saying is my spirit's the only thing that matters. Yes, that's, that is the case for some traditions, but I will just tell you, for, for the Desert Fathers and Mothers and for all of Christendom, we have always understood that that's what human beings are. We are body and spirit. That's what we are, right? It's like the cross. You have the horizontal and the vertical, right? The horizontal is you and your brother, you and your sister, but the vertical is you and God. Without either one, you don't have the cross, and this is what we are as human beings. And so the Desert Fathers, they understood that fasting and kind of buffeting the body, it wasn't that the body was bad, but it was that the body had become so strong. And I would say, and this is what I was saying earlier, it's more important now than it was back then, because now there's constant distraction, right? The phone. <laughs> I see it all the time. And it's like become a joke now that we don't even care about. But this, this reality of, of human interaction, of I can't even sit down and talk to someone, right, without having to pull this out. And I'm not trying to harp on the phone, but what, I, what I'm trying to get at is, my dear brothers and sisters, we're in a real dangerous spot right now. 
Because what I'm about to start reading to you from, for some of you, it's going to be offensive. And that's good. I'm glad. Okay? Because if you're offended, it means that you're still alive. But if it's kind of like, eh, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Because ultimately what the asceticism about was something profound, which we have completely lost, which is humility. Humility was and is the chiefest of the spiritual values, virtues, disciplines, however you want to put it. Without humility, there's nothing, right? Okay, I'm going to read from three different uh, Desert Fathers, mothers. This first one here is Abbasisos. Abbasisos was trained as an ascetic um, in Sketis, which was the upper part of the desert. And he left Sketis after the death of St. Anthony, saying it had become too popular and settled. <laughs> That's wild. Um, Anthony's Mountain, for se- he lived on Anthony's Mountain for 72 years. He found it deserted, which may indicate a time after the Saracen attack in 357. Okay? Listen to what he says. Listen to this. Abraham, Abba Cecil's disciple, was tempted one day by the devil. And the old man saw that he had given way, meaning he had kind of given the temptation. Standing up, he stretched his hands toward heaven, saying, God, whether you will or whether you will not, I will not let you alone till you have healed him. And immediately the brother was healed. Okay. I read this to you because the first thing to understand about desert spirituality is that it has this unwavering belief in the love of God. And that God is active and real. And that God desires healing and goodness. Why is that important now? Because most people think that God is some old white dude, no offense, with a long beard looking to strike people with lightning bolts every single little thing that they do and that's just completely false that's an idea and a, pro- and a projection of God that came from the medieval times but early Christians and the Christian East did not see that the desert fathers and mothers understood that that was not the case that actually God is love and everything that needed to be done was to manifest that love okay Next one. A brother said to Abbasisos, I am aware that the remembrance of God stays with me. The old man said to him, It is no great thing to be with God in your thoughts, but it is a great thing to see yourself as inferior to all creatures. It is this, coupled with hard work, that leads to humility. So we hear that and we go like, Man, I don't know about that. Because self-esteem, right? Well, here's the thing. When the desert dwellers talk about seeing themselves as inferior to all things, this radical humility, right? It's never about, I hate myself. Rather, it's about, I hate what I've become. I hate what I've become, right? And they always understood that they hate what they become because of how they treated their neighbor. The lives of the desert fathers and mothers is always about the relation of them to the brother, to the sister, to God. It's never about just like me and myself. What I'm trying to get at is their radical humility was completely divorced from egocentrism. And that's one of the things that we're struggling with the most right now. This thought of putting others first is absurd. But I'm here to tell you that at its root, this was spirituality. No matter what tradition you were coming from, humility was the key. 
humility was the key. It was said of Abba Sisos that when he was at the point of death, this one's very good, <laughs> while the fathers were sitting beside him, his face shone like the sun. He said to them, look, Abba Anthony is coming. A little later he said, look, the choir of prophets is coming. And again his countenance shone with brightness. And he said, look, the choir of apostles is coming. His countenance increased in brightness, and lo, he spoke with someone. Then the old man asked him, with whom are you speaking, Father? He said, look, the angels are coming to fetch me, and I'm begging them to let me do a little penance. Okay, watch this. He says, um, the old man said to him, you have no need to do penance, Father. But the old man said to him, truly, I do not think I have even made a beginning yet. Now they all knew that he was perfect. And perfect, as I was saying earlier, not perfect without mistakes, but perfect as he was operating as he was defragged. They knew he was defragged, right? Um, once more, his countenance suddenly became like the sun, and they were all filled with fear. He said to them, look, the Lord is coming, and he's saying, bring me the vessel from the desert. Then there was a flash of lightning, and all the house was filled with a sweet odor. This elder who had disciples and his disciples understood the, the humility and the love and the service is saying at his death, I haven't even begun yet. <laughs> One of the problems that we are struggling with is that our vision of God has become increasingly limited. Increasingly limited. We narrow the vision of God because we project our limitations upon God. There's only one way for you to undo that, and that's through humility. As long as God looks like you and me in the wrong way, we will never attain to that vision because there's nowhere to go. If I'm the measuring stick, we're in trouble. Yeah. Let me share with you Ama Theodora. Theodora was one of the greatest women ascetics of the desert. Um, she consulted with Archbishop Theophilus and appears um, she also consulted with many uh, monks and the, about the monastic life. And this is important because um, contrary to what people think, Theodora um, and all the desert mothers and fathers lived out what we are just dreaming about when St. Paul says that in Christ there's neither man nor woman, Jew nor Gentile. They lived it out, okay? So, Ama Theodora, she says, let us strive to enter by the narrow gate, just as the trees, if they have not stood before the winter storms, cannot bear fruit, so it is with us in this present age, is a storm, and it is only through many trials and temptations that we can obtain an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's important to understand that they didn't understand the kingdom of heaven as someplace out over there. It's not in the clouds with a bunch of like, you know, like I said before to you guys who were here when last time I talked, you know, people have this vision of heaven being clouds and like baby heads with wings coming out of them. <laughs> that, is, that is not heaven. Again, thank you medieval Europe, but that is, that's not heaven. The kingdom of heaven is within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And contemplation basically means being able to go inward. Going inward. 
the desert fathers and mothers, their asceticism was leaving off the luxury so that they could focus and go inward. Their fasting, their denying themselves of the meat and the onion and the wine, wasn't because meat and onion and wine was bad, but it's because they wanted something greater and higher. They went inward. Let me share with you a story. There was a priest, Father Roman Braga, who was tortured and imprisoned like 11 years by the communists in Romania. And Father Roman Braga was a spiritual father to one of my spiritual fathers, Father Moses Berry, who's in Ashgrove, Missouri. Father Roman Braga at one point was held for something like, uh, I think it was just shy of three years in solitary confinement with no pencil, no paper, no books, no art, one window that was like almost two stories high, and that was it. And Father Roman says that, he tells us, you know, God is not in the books. God is not in the books, right? And people, they think that God's in the books, they want to study and they want to read, but they don't find God. What they find is more of their brains growing bigger, but that's not God. He talks about, in the prison, two things happened. People either went mad or they found themselves. He says, there's no paper, there's no books, there's no one to talk to. What do you do? You have to go inward. Inside each one of you is a universe. And you may be thinking, I'm this crazy dude in a black dress with a hat and a cross and all this stuff. <laughs> and all that's true. <laughs> oh, that's true. But insofar as I can, I'm sharing with you experience. And I will tell you, as a priest, within every single one of you is a universe. And you are being kept from it. You are being kept from it. You are looking for God somewhere else. And you need to find God here. Mm. Um, saw God everywhere. Saw miracles every day. And it, just like spot on in the rocks. And, yes. And you know we, we starved out there. Yes. And, and it, people of all backgrounds, nationalities, race. I don't. Everybody. Everybody. Humans. <laughs> Humans. We all supported each yes. other. Yes. You know, I had like one bar left, but somebody else had no food. I would give it away. We saw God everywhere. And, and the only point I want to make is I'm struggling right now trying to get back into the closet. So that's very interesting you say that. Um, what's your name? Darlene. Hi, Darlene. It's nice good to meet to you. you. It's good to meet you. Um, there's a whole nother world, not just in here for everybody. But this is not relegated. This isn't a dusty book. Even now, there are those who are still in the desert places and the frozen tundras and in the mountains. Even now. Even now. Okay. This has never stopped. This has never stopped. When I say monk to you, you get a picture of someone doing kung fu. <laughs> Which is fine. But... Really, when I say monk to you or nun, 
you should be thinking someone like me, but not fat <laughs> and with a longer beard, living in a mountain or living in a desert, struggling. And when we talk about struggle in our tradition, that's a very good thing because it means you're alive. It's when you're not struggling, that's the problem. Darlene? Yeah. Darlene's experience is real. It's real. Now, does everyone have to go to the desert to experience that? No. Do you have to take upon yourself a measure of struggle to experience it? Yes. Yes. What I'm saying will not make sense to you at all until you begin to take that first step towards that type of struggle. It just won't. It just seems like, I, I don't get it. But it's a lot like the high that runners get or the high that someone who works out gets, right? Or for me, being an old punk rocker, the high that I used to get, like, you know, in a mosh pit or like hearing really loud music. Like, for a lot of people, they don't get it, but, the, but there's something that happens there that you can't get unless you experience it. My, you know, when Nick asked me to come, I'm like, ah, oh, like, yeah, like, what am I going to tell these people? I don't know. I'm hoping that I'm confusing you and offending you just enough to get you off your leaps and start pushing yourselves because you are falling asleep and you don't even know it. You're falling asleep and you don't even know it. And... You know, when Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses, he wasn't lying. Because going to church and doing churchy things, that's all good and fine and dandy. If it's to pat yourself on the back and make yourself a good citizen, that's not what it's about. It's about the divine. And you got to push through. I have seven children. I have caught every single one of them. I watched my wife labor in living rooms and in kitchens, and I've seen the travail that must happen for that life to come. For your spirit to be born, it is no different. You must have travail. You must have struggle. But when you embrace struggle, and this is where asceticism comes in, it gets just a little bit easier. And then you start to go like, oh, there's that runner's high. Oh, there's that burn from lifting the weight. And then something starts to happen. You start moving past yourself. You start moving past paying your bills. Jesus called it the cares of the world, right? But those cares of the world, they're choking out good seed. Humility, virtue, love, kindness, perspective. Watch this. I'm going to use a word that no one's using anymore. Wisdom. Wisdom. Google cannot you wisdom <laughs> one more from Ama, Ama Theodora she said that neither asceticism nor vigils vigils are when uh, in our tradition we have long services at night and in the middle of the night in which we'll be chanting and praying and in the denying ourselves of sleep 
we are seeking to enter into another state of consciousness, if you will, whatever, it's prayer. Um, nor vigils, nor any kind of suffering are able to save, watch this, only true humility. There was an anchorite, an anchorite is uh, an established uh, ascetic, was able to banish the demons, and he asked them, what makes you go away? Now he's speaking to the demons. Is it fasting? They replied, we do not eat or drink. Is it vigils? They replied, we do not sleep. Is it separation from the world? We live in the deserts. What power sends you away then? They said, nothing can overcome us, but only humility. Do you see how humility is victorious over the demons? When you hear demons, one of the problems is, is that you get these images of these little purple dudes with wings flying around invisibly. <laughs> this is, again, thank you, medieval Europe. This is not, uh, do not think of this, but rather, um, have you ever, you know, chosen yourself over a loved one? I'm sure you have. Have you ever um, said something to someone intentionally that you just watched like your words come out and stab them in the heart like a knife? I'm sure you have, right? Do you have nagging thoughts that bring you down and, and, and make you feel like you're nothing, you're worthless? I'm sure you have. Those are demons, you see? These are the things that are causing that fragmentation, right? And we need to pursue this humility and this, and this struggle so that we can become integrated again and push those things away. Because they're like that space that gets in between the good information, right? The good information is when I see you guys smiling and we have such a lovely community, right? But if I don't watch it, judgment comes in, <laughs> you see? And judgment comes in and it gets in between the interaction that I've had with you, right? And I go away and space begins to grow and those little thoughts get in there and start and judgment comes, you see? This is spiritual warfare as we call it. It's all internal. And when the desert mothers and fathers leave, they go to do battle, real battle. They battle with themselves. They battle with the negative thoughts, with the judgment, with the greed, with the egocentrism, with the fear. But you don't battle it by, you know, having a fifth of Jack. All that does is make you forget it. It's not really dealing with it. You have anxiety because you have these issues, but you don't know how to deal with them. And the more that they nag on you and press on you, the more the anxiety grows. You know things should be different, but they're not, so you become depressed. Everyone here, we are here under the, the auspice of a spiritual gathering. Again, I'm trying to plant the seeds to give you this tool of contemplation. But contemplation isn't just reading the books, right? It's also doing something, right? During Lent for us, and what I tell my, my parish, if you're fasting, but you're not praying, something's wrong. But if you're praying and not helping your brother, something's wrong, right? Because right contemplation brings right action. And this is the big thing. It's all connected. 
One of the things that Nick and I were talking about, have been talking about, is like burnout for people who do social work, for you know, spiritual people who want to get out and do work. And I know from experience, because you know, doing social work and blah blah blah. When I don't fill my cup, I burn out. But the problem is, filling the cup again, it isn't getting on Facebook, it isn't having a bunch of Jack, it isn't even that. Is it? It isn't eating the triple cheeseburger, although that is good. I fill my cup by emptying myself, actually, and that's the paradox. I fill myself by emptying myself, okay? I'm really long-winded, so let me begin to descend. Let me share with you one more desert father. Where are you, father? So, St. Moses, also known sometimes as St. Moses the Black, St. Moses the Ethiopian, he was a robber, he was a gang leader, he had a big gang in the deserts of Africa. And by the way, this is very interesting because I just got to kind of give a plug, you know, for my team. Um, Christianity started in the East, not the West. And so a lot of the things that's happening and a lot of the reasons why some of you have been burned out by Christianity and some of you have friends who have this basically this kind of straw man of Christianity is because what they've had is this Western Christianity, which is the fruit of like medieval Europe. But before it hit Ireland, I love Ireland, but before it hit Ireland, before it hit England, it was in Ethiopia and it was in Syria. And it was in Nubia. Why am I telling you this? Because it's still there. It'd be one thing if I was talking to you about like, oh yeah, yeah, I kind of picked up this book. I found these cool clothes. I put it on. I'm making it happen. <laughs> That'd be one thing. <laughs> I am working it. Thank you. But... There are more like me. And it's not about a club. You don't got to join my club. But I'm trying to share with you, for those of you, whatever kind of orientation you, how you hold yourself towards with Christianity, this is the history of it. It's not the angry God with the beard. And it's not the kind of like, hey, you know, believe in Jesus and you'll get the car and the house and everything you want. In fact, in fact, if you follow Christ, guess what you're going to get? The servant isn't above the master. The servant isn't above the master. So, when you hear about a gang leader, deja vu, when you hear about a gang leader who becomes a monk and a priest, and it's not talking about me, it's not that crazy. Because this was the whole purpose of Christianity, was to redeem and to change and to transform and to bring back the image of God. The image of God. The image of God. Abba Moses, he says, 
If a person's deeds are not in harmony with their prayer, they labor in vain. A brother said, what is this harmony between practice and prayer? The old man said, we should no longer do those things against which we pray. Let me push a pause button. You can't be talking about, oh, how Jesus is for this and for that, and then pass by your brother or your sister and just kind of like ignore them. You can't do that. You can't. You can't talk about and complain about the state of the country, this and that, but you have your own community, which you don't tend to. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't talk about how people are ignorant and this and that when you yourself are ignorant. You can't, you can't do that. Humility. Humility. I'm talking to myself. Yes. For when a man gives up his own will, then God is reconciled to them and accepts his prayers. The brother asked, in all the affliction which the monk gives himself, what, help, what helps him? The old man said, it is written, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, when you read that, it's kind of like, that's a weird, abrupt ending. I don't really understand. For them, there was no confusing God with, like, <laughs> nationalism and empire and all those things. You have to understand, there was no confusion for your forefathers and foremothers. There was no, like, smorgasbord. God was everything. Everything. If there was love, if there was beauty, if there was light, if there was truth, that was God. But see, now you have all kinds of stuff sprinkled in there. Getting back to the asceticism, our lusts and our greeds and our violence, our separation, it causes us to not see God. When we begin to remove those things from ourselves, guess what? Now we get to see God. Remember Jesus says, why do you judge your brother and the splinter in his eye when you have a two by four hanging out of yours? What this is about is taking the gospels, the teachings of Jesus, dead serious. Not about becoming a good citizen, but about becoming a human being. That's what this is about. One more to kind of drive the point home. The old man was asked, what is the good of the fasts and watching which a man imposes on himself? He replied, they make the soul humble. For it is written, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. So if the soul gives itself all this hardship, God will have mercy on it. That seems offensive to us because we have these, this modern idea, and it's really, it's, it's magic, it's, it's sorcery. When we think, I have, and forgive me, last time I was here I did this too, I have to do it again. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nick. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who this destroys, I'm glad, because I know that God is going to put the pieces together. But if you think that you're okay because, you know, in 1994, you were somewhere and you said some words and a prayer, you're wrong. You're wrong. No one has ever believed that except for the last 100 years. That is not Christianity. 
what that is is, yeah, it's my get out of jail free card. And I get to treat people however I want. And it's all good because I said the magic words. That's false. When you're reading the Gospel of John, Christ says in that day, right? What does he talk about? He says, did you? Who knows? Huh? What else? What else? Yes. Yes. That's a good summary. Walk in love. <laughs> but <laughs> he's not going to say, did you say the magic words? That's not what he's going to say. But the thing is, is you can't see yourself. You never have. That's why we need to learn to defrag. So, you know, just to kind of wrap it up with a bow for you. Pursue humility. Walk humbly with your God. Do justice, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. But learn silence. This is the big secret I wanted to bring with you. You got a good leader. I love Nick. He's all about teaching you guys how to, you know, push back against the oppressor, which we need to do. How to seek justice, which we need to do. How to, like, you know, give the hand. You know, we need to do all that. But you need to learn to contemplate. And that's the one thing I'm here to tell you. You need to learn to contemplate. And contemplating is not just reading the books. Uh, what's your name? Me? No. Oh. I can't read. Chris. Come here, Chris, please. What is this, Chris? What is this here? What's that? What is this here? Come on, come this on. This is my, my concentration tool. Very good. May I? Yes. Okay. So, the chotki or the kombishini, the prayer rope, right? This place of concentration, right? Chris has got it right. Learning silence and stillness is the key. And when you learn, for us, there's a simple prayer that we pray. We say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. But there's other prayers that people use to um, find that place of concentration and stillness. But you see, this is a symbol of the marrying of the spiritual with the material. The spiritual and the material. Thanks. I didn't mean to put you on blast it's okay, like that. No, no. That's good. The language of heaven is silence. The language of heaven is silence. Okay. Abba Isaac the Seer, and he says, I have never regretted my silence. Never. I would encourage you, and I know this is a tall order, begin slowly. Try to find 10 minutes a day. <coughs> turn off your phone, turn off the TV, turn everything off, and just sit. Intentionally. Intentionally sit. In our tradition, we have all kinds of tools. We have icons, we have pictures of Christ and the saints and all this stuff. We have prayer ropes, we have candles, we have incense. We have all these things because we're human beings and we're sensory beings, right? And in our tradition, we engage all the senses. But here and in your homes, you don't need to have those things per se. 
but you do need to learn to pursue silence. Because the noise, it isn't out there, it's actually in here. And you need to break it. And when you begin to break it, that's the defragging that happens. It's very difficult. You may kind of roll your eyes and think, yeah, I got that. Okay, if you got it, then put it up to 20 minutes. <laughs> right? It's a powerful tool because when you do this, you'll begin to see yourself. And you're not going to like what you see at first, but that's okay. Because that's where God comes in. And you begin to allow God to whisper sweet nothings in your ear. And God will begin to affirm you in the right way. Not in this kind of superficial sense of like self-esteem, but in the deepest sense. And when you're affirmed and you're built up, then you have a cup. And that cup can be filled. And that's how you don't burn out. That's how you are able to not have compassion fatigue. You have to learn to contemplate. You have to learn to be still. You have to learn to be silent. I would encourage all of you to encourage each other. Because I can go away. I'm going away. And it can be like, oh, remember that crazy guy with the black dress? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But forget about me. Just remember what I talked about. Silence is the language of heaven. Silence is the language of heaven. You can hit each other up. Have you been practicing silence? That's one little way of practicing asceticism. That's one little way of denying yourself. That's one little way of putting on that, that kind of five pound plate so that you can learn to just press a little bit harder, right? Anyways, I love you guys. Forgive me. Um, well, like I said, I hope I offended some of you. But forgive me if I've un offended anyone unduly. That's, that's not my intention. But was my intention to get your attention. Because what I had to say today wasn't about me. It was about all of us, right? And if you guys are trying to get a little bit of silence, and I'm trying to get a little bit of silence, then maybe your neighbors and your loved ones can learn to get a little silence. And if we're all getting a little bit of silence, maybe we can actually hear each other. But more importantly, maybe we can start hearing God. Because God's speaking all the time, but we're not listening. Okay? Forgive me. Thank you.